0: amen well good morning church we are in first timothy chapter one. one first timothy chapter one if you want to turn there if you need a bible raise your hand the ushers will get you a bible anyone need a bible no okay sweet first timothy chapter one our theme for this month is commitment and our theme for next month is unity and that's why we're bringing together um, the services to so you could get to know each other but we start out January a new year um, with a theme of commitment our commitment to God our commitment to serving our commitment to loving our commitment to forgive people to just be available for the Lord Jesus a commitment like we've never had before in our life I want this year to be the year that you serve Jesus more than you've ever served Jesus in your life and our title for our message today is his grace Have you experienced the grace of God? Are you blown away by the grace of God? We looked at the Apostle Paul who was talking to Timothy in the first part of this letter and he was encouraging him to make sure that nobody teaches anything but sound doctrine. To stray away from false teaching, fables, genealogies. And to stick to the Word of God. And he was worried about legalism creeping into the church, how the Judaizers were coming in and trying to bring people back under the law. He said the law can't save you. Only the grace of Jesus Christ can save you. Jesus paid the price for your sins on the cross to die for your sins so you could have everlasting life. But you have to believe on him you have to believe he's who he is you have to believe that he did what he did for your sake on the cross you have to believe he rose from the dead that's it belief you don't jump through hoops you don't pay for anything it's not by your performance because if you think you can get to heaven by your performance then you're saying Jesus died on the cross in vain and he did not he did it all he paid a debt he didn't owe a debt that you couldn't pay. So he could hand you a gift of salvation and he says open it and live for eternity in heaven. His grace. I marvel at his grace. And in this portion of scriptures we're going to look at 1 Timothy chapter 1 verses 12 through 17 Paul all of a sudden as he's telling Timothy about sound doctrine and he he tells Timothy what the law was for the purpose of the law was to point us to the Messiah was to show that we are sinners and we have fallen short of the glory of God that we need a Messiah and as he starts sharing these things he just kind of busts out into Thanksgiving have you ever done that you ever just like started thinking back on everything God did for you and you start praise the Lord Are you kidding me? And so he says there in verse 12, he says, And I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has enabled me, because He counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent man, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant, with faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. However, for this reason I obtained mercy that in me first, Jesus Christ might show all longsuffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe on Him for everlasting life. And then he just busts out into a doxology. He just says, now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, to God who alone is wise, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Father, we thank You for the Word of God. We pray that You would work in our hearts today, Lord. Take away the junk that plagues us and stir us up to understand Your grace, Your mercy and why, should we, why we should serve you. Lord, do a work in this place today. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Paul, as he starts to think of all the things that Christ has done for him, has to bust out in rejoicing. To think that God would take a man like Paul and turn him around and use him is mind-blowing. To think that He would take us and turn us around and use us is mind-blowing. I don't know if it blows your mind, it blows my mind. I shouldn't be up here. It's only by the grace of God. And when I come up here, it's fearfully and trembling because I don't want to misrepresent Him. I don't want Steve to come up here. I want the Holy Spirit To dwell in me speak through me and penetrate your hearts and stir you up I want to be able to walk away from this service right now and just say Lord you spoke to the people not me that means I've got to get out of the way less of me more of him that means in your life if you want Jesus to work in your life you got to get out of the way because we're the problem we're the, we're the reason that we're not doing the will of God is because it's all about me. I'm selfish. I don't know about you. But God wants us to make others center, centered and not be self-centered. Do you care more about others than you care for yourself? Or is it just all about you? Then, If it is all about you, then you don't understand the grace of God. You don't understand what God saved you from. You don't understand what He's done in your life. You don't understand what He's promised you. If you got it, it would blow your mind. You would be truly transformed. You would love. You would forgive. You would serve Him because He's so worthy to be served. He's worthy of our praise. But if you don't appreciate what you got, your life's still all about you not about jesus his grace is abundant his grace is mind-blowing grace is getting something you don't deserve mercy is not getting what you do deserve god showed you mercy and then he poured out on you grace and an abundance did you know he's going to be revealing his grace through eternity that means you know when people say you think heaven's going to be boring are you kidding me This place is boring. Heaven's going to be so exciting because we'll be there 10,000 years and he'll he'll blow our minds with something new. He'll be revealing his grace through all out eternity. You're like, man, I've never seen that. I've been here 10,000 years. I've never tasted anything like that. And then the next day when you think you can't be blown away anymore, he goes, hey, check this out. And you just, whoa, 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 stop. His grace should overwhelm you. It should melt your heart and bring you to tears, what He's done for you in your life. I was looking at the Bible, and in the King James Bible, grace appears 170 times. And so I was going to read all those to you today. Actually, I just picked out a couple that were really... Oh, a few. I'm going to pepper you with some verses on grace, and I hope you can handle it. you guys good? We're all right? Amen? okay I'm just we're gonna I'm gonna run through these quick John 1 14 the word was made flesh and dwelt among us and we behold his glory the glory as the only begotten of the Father full of grace and truth John 1 16 and of his fullness have all we received and grace for grace for the law was given by Moses but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ acts fifteen eleven, but we believe that through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ we shall be saved Romans 3 23 for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus Romans 5 1 therefore being justified by faith we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in the hope and the glory of God we have access to the King of Kings we have access to the throne of grace. Do you know that? Do you believe it? Are you taking advantage of that? Romans 5:21 that as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. Romans 6:14. For sin shall not have dominion over you. For you are not under the law, but under grace. Romans eleven six. And if by grace, then there is no more works. Otherwise, grace is no more grace. Romans twelve six tells us that by His grace, we receive gifts. The gifts of the Spirit are by His grace. And those gifts are given without repentance. 2 Corinthians 9, 8 says, And God is able to make all grace abound towards you. Galatians 5.4 says we can all fall from grace when we fall into legalisms and tell people they got to do this and that. And you're saved by Jesus and. No, it doesn't work like that. You're saved by Jesus and nothing. By the faith in Christ. And then my last one I'm going to read to you is probably one of my favorites. Ephesians 2.5 Even when we were dead in our sins hath quickened us together with Christ by grace you are saved. And hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us through Christ Jesus. For by grace you are saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God. Not of works. Because then we'd all boast. (laughs) The only boasting we'll be doing in heaven is Jesus. Grace is always given. It's never taken. We don't take grace. Grace is given to us. And so Paul here gets excited because as he was sharing with Timothy, warning against false doctrine creeping into the church there at Ephesus, And legalism creeping in. He says the law is good if it's used lawfully. And when it's used lawfully, it convinces a man or a woman their need for a Messiah. And then they cry out to Jesus and the law has done its work. But the law cannot love you. The law cannot forgive you. The law doesn't show grace. The law doesn't show mercy. Only Jesus Christ does. The law points you to Jesus Christ. And so Paul says the law is good as long as it's used lawfully, knowing that the law was not made for righteous. If you're in Christ Jesus, the law has finished with you. It did its job. You're no longer under the law of Moses. You're under the law of the Spirit, which is much more powerful because the Holy Spirit dwelling in me actually Helps me to keep the law more than ever before in my life. So he says the law was for the lawless, for the rebellious, for the insubordinate, for the ungodly, for the sinners, for the unholy, for the profane, for the murderers of fathers, murderers of mothers, manslayers, fornicators, sodomites, kidnappers, liars, perjurers. And if there are anything else contrary to the doctrine, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which I've committed to me, which he's committed to me, my trust. He's saying that if there's anything I left out, throw that in there too. And I think right then he was probably just realizing that he was just describing who he was before he got saved. He was rebellious. He was a blasphemer. He was a manslayer. He was a murderer of fathers, a murderer of mothers. A kidnapper. He was hauling people off to prison. And I think he starts thinking about what he's writing down or who's writing for him as he's dictating this letter. And he just busts out of verse 12. I thank God. I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has enabled me because he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent man, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. He's reflecting on all the goodness that God showed him. That not only did God save him, but he put him in the ministry. He was a Christian killer. He thought he was doing the will of God. Until God opened up his eyes on the road to Damascus. Because when he was on his way to go capture more Christians... When he was on his way to murder more Christians, Jesus knocked him off his high horse. He hit the ground and he says, Who are you, Lord? He says, I'm Jesus who you persecute. That blew him away. He's like, why are you persecuting me? He goes, I'm not persecuting you. This is what he's thinking. I'm not persecuting you. I'm going after this church thing. These Christians, this way, these Jesus freaks. I'm doing God's work. And, and God revealed that He was God in front of Paul. And Paul all of a sudden realized I'm persecuting God when I persecute the church. And he would develop this whole thing about the body of Christ because Jesus said, when you persecute them, you're persecuting me. And Paul got saved. And then he was so blown away that, that, that God immediately put him into the ministry. Wow. And you got saved. And when you got saved, God said, listen, I immediately want to put you into ministry. And so my question for you today, have, have you committed to that? Do you really understand all God's done for you? Are you willing to be used by him? Is your life truly transformed? Transformed. Because we see a transformation taking place here with Paul that was like, wow, are you kidding me? It was like night and day. He says in verse 14, and the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love, which are in Christ Jesus. God has shown each and every one of us an abundance of grace. Isn't he patient with you? Isn't, he's so patient with me. And it's always so funny when I want God to work in somebody else, and God's like, Gosh, I've been trying to get that done in you for how long, Steve? And I go, But I know, but they just need it so much more than me. I can just see so. Can't you just see everybody else's sin so much clearer than your own? God is showing you an abundance of grace. Don't abuse that grace. Don't take His grace lightly. Don't think that the grace that God is showing you right now is that He's okay with what you might be doing that's not of Him. Paul's whole life was transformed. He says in verse 15, This is a faithful saying that worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners who I am chief. However, for this reason, I obtain mercy that in me first, Jesus Christ might show all love suffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. So if you're here today and you're saying, God can't save me, Paul's saying, I'm chief. What's chief? Top dog. I'm the chief of sinners. I'm here to show you that this is a pattern that if Christ can save me and put me into the ministry, He can put you into the ministry and save you. Because I just read that it was Christ that enabled him. Are you still trying to do life in your own power? Or are you letting Jesus take over? I'll tell you what. It's, you need to let Jesus do everything. Even the little things. Don't, don't give God this, because I do this all the time. This is where I fall flat on my face. Oh, Lord, you know what? This is nothing. I got this. And he just kind of steps back and goes, all right. And then I fall flat on my face, and he goes, You want to do it my way? I always want to do it his way. See, it's not the big things that take us out because the big things we always come to him in prayer, crying out, or tears, the whole thing. It's the little things that somehow we think we got this. Give it all to him. Let him have his way. Paul says, I'm the chief of sinners. You kind of go, wow. Do you realize that Paul was sort of a like a Muslim terrorist? And and don't, don't, don't take this wrong. All Muslims aren't bad. They need Jesus, but there's a lot of nice Muslims. I don't want anybody saying, you know, Steve's an Islamophobic and all this because I've had those emails, and I'm not. I love the Muslims. They just need Jesus, and not all Muslims are radicals. Did you guys know that? If you go to Iran, the people in Iran, they love the Jews in Israel. It's the Ayatollah, the leaders that hate the Jews and want them dead. Not all Muslims know their Bible, the Koran. Not all Christians know their Bible. But, you know, a radical Muslim wants all the Jews and Christians dead. I mean, that kind of describes Paul before his conversion. I mean, he wanted Christians dead. He wanted Christians in prison. He wanted Christians beaten. He wanted to put a sword to their throat and make them blasphemy Jesus. And then God knocked him off his high horse and saved him. I remember when God knocked me off my high horse. It was a life changer. And then he became on fire for Jesus. And was used by Jesus. He was enabled by Jesus. God gives. Guys, think about this. God, by his grace, saves you. And then God, by his grace, gives you gifts. And then God, by his grace, gives you the power to serve him. And then by his grace, he rewards you for what he did in you. Do you know any better program than that? (laughs) And then Paul's so excited, he busts out in this doxology in verse 17. He says, Now to to God, who alone is wise, be honor and glory forever. Amen. To God, now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, to God who alone is wise, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. He just busts out a little song. You ever been thinking about what God's done for you and then all just just praise the Lord? If you haven't, I feel sorry for you. Because maybe you don't understand what you've been saved from. Paul was so committed to God because he understood the grace and the mercy that was given to him. I don't know if we understand it. When I hear people, you know, who, who somehow act like they're more holy than others, they don't understand the grace of God. You ever met anybody that was kind of like holier than thou? You don't have to raise your hand. But you know what I'm saying? Somebody just thought they were a little bit better than you because they knew a little more scripture, and, and boy, I'm doing this and that, and they'll tell you all about how much of the Holy Spirit they have. Well, my question is, How much of you does the Holy Spirit have? Because if you surrender yourself completely to the Holy Spirit, guess what? You're going to be used mightily like a Paul. Like a Daniel. And if you're not being used like that, it's because you don't want to be. Because you don't want to surrender. It's still all about you. And God tells us to die to ourselves, pick up our cross, and follow Him. Less of me, more of Him. Less of me, more of Him. I have to tell myself that all the time. I have to remind myself of that. Less of me. There's too much me going around. I don't know about you, there's a war going on inside me. The flesh is warring against my spirit, the spirit is warring against the flesh. They're contrary to one another. I find myself not doing what I want to do, and then doing the things I don't want to do. I'm getting better, I'm learning some moves. <laughs> But let me just say this. The gospel did to the Apostle Paul overnight what the law couldn't do for him for decades. Transformed his life in one night. See, because legalism, trying to keep the law, trying to measure up, you will always fail. That's why God used the law only as a schoolmaster to bring us to Him. And by His grace that we're saved. God's grace. That's an amazing thing to think about. So my question for you today is how committed are we to God? Let every man and woman examine themselves. How committed are we to God? How much of you does the Holy Spirit have? It's amazing to think when I read the Scriptures and I look at the churches how fast they fell from grace. How fast they forgot what God has done for them. Paul marveled of how fast the churches he planted got off track in the first century. Jesus marveled at it. Jesus sent seven letters to seven churches in the book of Revelation. He appeared before the Apostle John on the island of Patmos, and he said, here, write these letters, give them to these churches. And out of the seven, five of them he was upset with. Because they'd strayed. And he had to give them strong warnings. Repent or else. Hell, what? Because the churches were getting so off track that they were no longer serving Jesus, they were serving the world. They were serving false doctrine. They were serving, they're putting other things as gods before God. And God says, That's not my gospel, that's not my word. And how many churches today? Worldwide have the banner of Jesus Christ over them, but they're not teaching sound doctrine They're not teaching proper theology But we got Jesus it doesn't matter Jesus speaking to Ephesus which was the stellar church It was like the, the model church at that time Man, if you want to be like anybody, like, you want to be like Ephesus. Man, these guys are on fire, man. They're, they're warring against false doctrine. They're doing all these things. I mean, they hate the works of the Nicolaitans. It's so amazing. And then Jesus says, nevertheless, I have something against you. You've left your first love. He says, remember, therefore, from where you've fallen, repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from this place unless you repent. They were so busy serving the king, they didn't have time for the king. They looked they—they like, they were like the church you'd look at and go, man, they got it all going on. They got the big building. They got the light show. They got the hot band. They got all this stuff. They got it all going on. They were just booming over there. And God says, no, they left their first love. They got so busy serving him that they didn't spend time with him. And we can get so busy working in our life and not have any time for Jesus. And he'll tell you to repent and return to your first love. In Revelation 2.14, dealing with the church of Pergamos, Pergamos was married to the world. They were bringing the world into the church. God doesn't want any of that. He wants a holy, pure bride. He doesn't want his church to look like the world. He wants you to stand out. So somebody will see what you've got and say, I want what that guy's got. Not he looks just like us. And he says to Pergamos, he goes, I got a few things against you. Because you have there those who hold to the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel to eat things sacrificed to idols, to commit sexual immorality. Thus, you also have those who hold to the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which I hate. So he says to him, repent, or else I will come to you quickly and I will fight against you with the sword of my mouth. What? Do you want Jesus to come at you like that? With the sword of his mouth? He told the Ephesians, he said, hey, you know what? If you don't repent, I'm going to remove you. If you go to Ephesus, the church is gone. In Revelation 2.21, the church of Thyatira Started getting involved in all kinds of crazy things. And he said, I gave her time to repent of her sexual immorality. She did not repent. Indeed, I will cast her into a sick bed. And those who commit adultery with her, I'm going to throw them into the great tribulation. Whoa. Unless they repent of their deeds. He says, I will kill her children with death. And all the churches shall know that I am he who searches the minds and the hearts. Don't tell me you're, you're a Christian just because you come to a church that says it's Christian. You better examine your heart. That's what I'm saying to, to oh, man, I don't know where you're at. I want to think the best of every one of you. I, I, I'm challenging myself. Where am I? In Revelation chapter 3, the church of Sardis, he says, Remember, therefore, how you have received and heard. Hold fast and repent. Why? They had a name that lived, but the church was dead. Therefore, if you will not watch, I will come upon you as a thief, and you will not know the hour that I will come upon you. And then he gets to Laodicea, the church, which, which represents our time frame. We're in the time of Laodicea, lukewarm, and God says, You know what, you guys make me sick. I want to puke. Now, now I, I want to encourage you. That's not us. We love the Lord. He's saying, but the church at large is in trouble. Because they say, man, we got the big building, we got the we got the stellar, we got the keynote speakers, we got the big band, we got everything going on. We're in need of nothing. We're rich. We got everything we need. And God says, no, you're poor, naked and blind. You're lukewarm. I just when I think about you, I want to throw up. He says, As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten, therefore be zealous and repent. He says, I stand at the door and I'm knocking. How's that? Jesus is standing outside of his church going, Can I come in? And when I look at Paul, Paul wrote seven letters to seven churches. And I think about what he wrote, and he wrote to these churches that are already in trouble. In a short period of time, he he writes to the Galatians, he goes, oh, foolish Galatians, who's bewitched you? You were saved by grace, you're going back under the law, you got saved by the Spirit, by grace, and you think you're now going to perfect everything by your own works? Are you nuts? He goes to the Corinthians, he gets to the Corinthians, I, I, I I I would just love to have seen his face. He's just like, what are you guys doing? You ever been like that with your kids? You just want to grab their face. What are you doing? I mean, these guys were, they were suing one another. They were getting drunk at the communion table. At the communion table. There was so much sexual immorality and everybody knew about it and they are all just praising the Lord on Sunday. Oh my gosh, are you kidding me? And I think to myself, I wonder if Jesus wrote a letter to the church in America, what he would write. What would he write? I think he already wrote the letter. It's called Laodicea. You know, When, I go, when I've been on mission trips and I've been to a third world country where nobody has any money, they're poor, they live in a shack about the size of your, your biggest bathroom, they share one cup of rice between a whole family, and I'll tell you what, they have more joy than all of us put together because they love Jesus and it blows me away. When I hear the stories, you know, Pastor Jay from India, when he comes here, and I hear the stories. Their life's in danger. Pastors being murdered, Christians being slaughtered. I hear about what's going on in China. The whole church is underground because they're fearing for their lives. They're fearing for their families. They're fearing for their livelihood. But they, they, they are willing to take the risk because they love Jesus. And the church is thriving in the midst of persecution. And, and you have these groups that like somebody says, hey, let's get together on Monday. The whole church comes out. We're gonna do a prayer meeting on Tuesday. If if you got you go, to, I tell you, you go to India, you go to Philippines, you go to these other places. We've been to the Philippines. I've gone there so many times, and, and it's like, we're, yeah, we do church at a church on Sunday and one on Wednesday. I've been there once when they were they were taking they were cutting the heads off of white pastors. I was in Cebu. I'm like, let's go to Dumaguete. Let's get out of here because I kind of stand out. And we would, we would do church on Sunday, we'd do church on Wednesday, but during the week, wherever we went, everybody would hear, hey, we're getting together, and they'd come out, the whole church would come out. If you had 50, 100, 200 in your church, and, and they said, hey, we're going to do a prayer night Tuesday night, all of them would come out for prayer night. They loved Jesus. We were at this one place, we were, uh, it was a Wednesday morning, and we were... Um, we were ministering to pregnant young ladies and young mothers and stuff, and, and ministering to them and blessing and everything. And the pastor says, Hey, can you come back tonight and, and teach? It was Wednesday night. I said, I can't. I go, We're teaching over at this place. He says to me, That's okay. When you're done there, come over here. I'm like, What? And he goes, Yeah. So we go over there and we, we have worship, the word you know prayer everything's just amazing and it wasn't till like about nine o'clock that we finally made our way to this other place to come to find out that they've been worshiping they've been doing praise and worship for like three hours waiting for us and i think to myself how many times i've sat in a worship service and go, oh that song again how many more is he going to do and we got there and they kept worshiping for at least another half hour. And people were on their face crying. They were hands in the air. They were, they, were just, they were just wanting to hear from God. And we taught the word and we spent time with them and we prayed and it was crazy. And when I talk to missionaries in China and they tell me their lives are on the line and everything like this. And, and then they go, well, how's church in America? I'm like well it's like we got freedom of religion you can worship whatever you want anywhere anytime we've got all these churches there we got these big buildings they call church and you can go into this big building and you can sit there for an hour and a half and hear a message and if you don't like the message you can go out the door down the street to the next church And if you don't like their worship, you can go out the door and down the street to the next church. And if there's people in that church you don't like, you can go out the door and down the street to the next church. So You find what you like. And you don't know how many times I've heard Filipinos, Chinese, Indians say we're praying for the American church. And they don't say that in a good way. They're worried about us. I said, the problem with the church in America is that it's all about you. How do I feel? Do I like the people in the church? Do I like the speaker? Do I like the worship band? And they said, that's the problem. You know, in India, they say you're going to hold a Bible study. Everybody shows up and they don't even care who the speaker is. They just want somebody to open up the Bible and hear what God's saying. They don't care if they don't have a worship band. They just want to worship God. I know a pastor that went to a huge conference. And he was invited there by an Indian missionary from India. And they had thousands of people. They had the full light show, the drama. They had the keynote speakers. They had the top worship band in the U.S. there. And, and, and the missionary looked at him and he said, you Americans are funny. He goes, if you didn't have a keynote speaker and this top band playing, do you think anybody would show up? And he said, No. What happened to people coming to church wanting to hear from God? What happened to people that want to worship and feel the move of the Holy Spirit? What happened to just a handful of people saying, hey, come over to my house on Tuesday. We'll just open the Bible and tremble at his word. Or let's come, come over Thursday and we'll just pray and watch the Holy Spirit move. I remember one time years ago we had Chris Tomlin band doing worship at our church. And our church was packed. People got the word came out, they were standing room only, but it broke my heart because I know they didn't come for the message. They came for Chris Tomlin. They didn't come to hear God, they came to hear Chris. What are we doing? Why are we playing around with our faith? What happened to us being committed to the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you have time for Him? You know, I hear people say, you know, uh, you know I'll serve when I find the time. You'll never find the time. There's only 24 hours in a day. Well, how are you going to find time? You've got to make time. And you will make time for whatever or whoever you love the most. Let me close with this. Why did Jesus save you? Some people might say, so I don't go to hell. No, that's a perk. Why did Jesus save you? So I could spend eternity with Him in heaven. No, that's a perk too. So why did Jesus save you? He saved you so you could serve Him. Paul said in Romans 12:1 I beseech you therefore brethren by the mercy of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to God which is your reasonable service what To present yourself a living sacrifice to God for all that he has done for us, for saving us, for giving us salvation, for, for taking us to heaven, for giving us the gifts, rewarding us for what he's doing through us, for all that he's done. It's only reasonable for us to serve him. Don't tell him you don't got time. How could you not have time for the King of kings, the King eternal, immortal, invisible, of God alone who is wise, all honor, glory forever and ever. Amen. I'm talking to myself right now, guys. I need to step it up. He's coming soon. And He loves you so much. I just prayed it today that we would grab how much He loves you. And how much grace he's shown you and mercy. He loves you so much. Let's love him back. Amen. Amen. Father, thank you for the word. Thank you for reminding us, Lord God. And give us strength, Lord. We're weak. We need your help. We need your power. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for putting us into the ministry. Thank you for enabling us to do the ministry. Thank you that we obtained mercy from you. And Lord, help us to finish and finish well. It's reasonable. We give you all the praise and glory in Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen. amen. God bless you guys.